Joshua 15, verses 1 to 20. The land allotted to Judah. The land allotted to the tribe of Judah, according to its clans, extended down to the territory of Edom, to the desert of Zin in the extreme south. Their southern boundary started from the bay at the southern end of the Dead Sea, crossed south of the Scorpion Pass, continued on to Zin, and went over to the south of Kadesh Barnea. Then it ran past Hezron, up to Adar, and curved around to Karka. It then passed along to Asmon and joined the Wadi of Egypt, ending at the Mediterranean Sea. This is their southern boundary. The eastern boundary is the Dead Sea, as far as the mouth of the Jordan. The northern boundary started from the Bay of the Sea, at the mouth of the Jordan, went up to Beth Hogla, and continued north of Beth Araba to the stone of Bohan, son of Reuben. The boundary then went up to Debir from the valley of Achor and turned north to Gilal, which faces the pass of Adamimim, south of the gorge. It continued along to the waters of En-Shemesh and came out at En-Rogel. Then it ran up the valley of Ben-Hinmom along the southern slope of the Jebusite city, that is, Jerusalem. From there, it climbed to the top of the hill, west of the Hinmom Valley, at the northern end of the valley of Rephaim. From the hilltop, the boundary headed towards the spring of the waters of Neftoa, came out to the towns of Mount Ephron, and went towards Bala, that is, Kiriath-Jerim. Then it curved westward from Bala to Mount Seir, ran along the northern slope of Mount Jerim, that is, Kesselon, continued to Beth Shemesh, and crossed to Timnah. It went to the northern slope of Ekron, turned towards Shikaron, passed along to Mount Bala, and reached Jabneel. The boundary ended at the sea. The western boundary is the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea. These are the boundaries around the people of Judah by their clans. In accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, a portion in Judah, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the forefather of Anak. From Hebron, Caleb drove out three Anakites, Sheshai, Ahiman, and Telmai, the sons of Anak. From there, he marched against the people living in Debir, formerly called Kiriath-Sephir. And Caleb said, I will give my daughter, Aksa, in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kiriath-Sephir. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's brother, took it. So Caleb gave his daughter, Akash, to him in marriage. One day, when she came to Othniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. When she got off her donkey, Caleb asked her, What can I do for you? She replied, Do me a special favour. Since you have given me the land in Negev, give me also springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. This is the inheritance of the tribe of Judah according to its clans. What is in it for me? What am I going to get? We always like to know what is in it, what is of interest to us in any particular project. What is in God's salvation for me? What am I going to get out of my salvation? Is it wrong for me to be thinking about myself and about what I'm going to get, what I'm going to be given, what I'm going to have? Now, I want to read for you a citation from a great literary work. And you're always going to remember this 
what I read to you this morning because it is life-changing as you listen to this great piece of literature. Brace yourself. Prepare yourself. Victorian dining tables. Six Queen Anne dining chairs. Hardwood occasional table. Silver tea service. Series of 19th century oil paintings. Collection of hardy split cane fishing rods. Well, are you impressed? That is actually a quotation from a list of goods that will be sold at an auction in Christie's of London. Not a very exciting read, you say. Maybe I built it up too much at the beginning. But let's try and change the list to make it a little bit more exciting. Let's change the circumstances and suppose that I am a solicitor and that I have summoned you to appear in my office with regard to your very wealthy late great aunt's estate. You arrive and you meet up with your four cousins that you normally only meet with at weddings and funerals. It's the reading of the will. And it's going to take some time because your great aunt owned extensive property, a considerable amount of jewellery, paintings, antique furniture, and everything is going to be distributed among the five cousins. Now, each cousin will be told what items and properties they have received, and it will be read out in alphabetical order according to their Christian name. And you often resented the fact that your mum called you Zach, but never more at this particular moment. So it's a list of properties, furniture, jewellery, and you will be last on the list. And you listen to the list with great attention, trying to do mental mathematics, What's left? What has been handed out? What have my cousins got? And you're trying to keep track. And all of a sudden, a list is not just a boring read. It's your inheritance. You've never concentrated so much in your, all your life. You're taking in every word, making a list in your mind, waiting to hear what your inheritance is. So as we think of the children of Israel appearing before Joshua, Joshua is reading out a list that we have had read for us this morning. And that reading of the list that is what God has given to them. It is their inheritance. Now, Walter Kaiser, one of my favorite commentators in his book Towards an Old Testament Theology, he speaks about what he calls promise theology as a theme of the, of, for the Old Testament. And we could take that theme and change it a little 
and call this particular chapter Promise Geography. Now, as we think of this chapter, perhaps we are prepared to admit that the first readers would have listened with a greater interest than we would listen. Because they were getting something out of the chapter. What's in it for me? What am I going to get? I know that those people back then were really excited But it seems to me that this is a bit like looking at someone's holiday photographs. You can see that they're excited, but it's pretty hard to sustain your interest in the as the third photograph album appears. So is it possible that we can be more than just have and just have a polite interest? in what's going on in this particular chapter? Well, if we take seriously what the Bible says about itself, then we will look at this chapter and ask, what is it that God wants me to learn? Because God has said that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, of course, the message in this chapter may not be as rich as it is in other well-known passages of the Bible. But yet we do believe these sections contain useful words for our instruction. Matthew Henry, a very famous commentator, approached these chapters realizing that people found them difficult So he had this to say by way of encouraging us to persevere and read. He says we are not to skip over these chapters of hard names as useless and not to be regarded. Where God has a mouth to speak and a hand to write, then we should have an ear to hear and an eye to read. And God give us a heart to profit. Chapter 15 deals with the details of God's promise. God is a God of details. God is involved with every detail of our lives. It's interesting to see what people pray for. And... It's also interesting to read sometimes newsletters where people ask us to pray for certain particular things. How much detail should we pray about? Now, God never takes away from us the responsibility that we have to make good decisions, to make best decisions. But yet we have learned in this book of Joshua that when the people of God failed to pray, especially before they went into battle or before they made arrangements with other groups of people, that things went badly for them. 
And we learn the lesson that it is important for us to pray, to commit things to God. This chapter here gives a concrete shape to the leading idea of the book of Joshua. And that is that God fulfills his promises that he has made to his people. Over 400 years before the book of Joshua, God had made a promise to Abraham. He's now fulfilling that promise. And God continues to answer those promises that he gave to Abraham. He is fulfilling them in us today. Chapter 15, verses 1 to 12 details God's promises. It would be lovely to go through your Bible and to write out a list of everything that God promises you. Then all of a sudden the list or lists no longer are boring things. Not just a to-do list, but here a list of every promise that God has given to his people. And God will fulfill those promises. This chapter is about God's faithfulness. This list is the list of answers that God is giving, fulfilling what he has said, what he has promised. It is a very solid Fulfillment of the land promises that God had made to Abraham. Every town, name, every border point pulsates with excitement for the people of God because it describes the gift of God, their inheritance that they are receiving from the Lord. Now what happened to you today? You got up, had breakfast, Porridge, Weetabix, cornflakes. But it's just one more fulfillment of what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 6. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? You see, when we pray, give us our daily bread, we forget that it is God who provides for us. When you think of the whole food industry, from the farmer right through to the retail store, everything that is put in place in order that we might have food on our table, it is God that provides this. On the phone, on the telephone yesterday, we didn't talk about the Lord or the greatness of salvation. We talked about a trip to the cinema, going with friends to the restaurant, the beginning of the new school term, homework and coursework, playing netball for the school team, 
what they were having for tea. Now, not one of these details staggers the imagination in any way. But like the boundaries and the towns of Judah, they are little incarnations of the faithfulness of God to us. Blessings of family life, of health and strength, of food and clothes. This week, I got to place my new little granddaughter on my shoulder, listening to the little contented noises that she was making, and thanking God for his goodness to us and to our families. One more little sign that God is a great God of blessing. When we think of the Lord, we are more inclined to take note of only spiritual things like justification, sanctification, prayers about spiritual things, and forget that God makes his faithfulness concrete to us in a, a number of ways. But there is a, a response required from the people of God, and that is for us to be thankful for us to have gratitude. Gratitude for the breakfast that we've had. Breakfast for uh, Thanksgiving and gratitude for every blessing that God sends us each day. You see, this list that we have in Joshua chapter 15 may seem very mundane. And it may actually seem like, what a terrible thing to do to me when I come to visit the church not having been here for a while, and I'm given the job of having to read this chapter out. But you're very welcome that you're back with us. But yet this is a list of the goodness of God. Our response is that we should have a vigorous faith. And again, here we can go back to the example of Caleb. In line with the Lord's command, Caleb received his land in accordance with the Lord in accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave to Caleb a portion in Judah. In the last chapter we heard how Caleb expressed his faith in God as he said what he would do once he had received his inheritance. It is only in this chapter that we see Caleb following, following through on his claim. And there's a great lesson here for us. Quite often when we hear God's word, we will make decisions, perhaps dealing with some sin in our life, perhaps abandoning some habit or accomplishing some task. We need to follow through when God speaks to us. To make sure that we put into practice what God has spoken to us about. Now I know I, I labor this point on many, on many occasions. The evangelical world have a very bad habit of dividing up our Sunday, Sunday services. They talk about the singing bit as worship. And the preaching bit as teaching. But it's all worship. 
How do I worship when I listen to God's word? I worship God by responding to that word. If you like, I I come to church every Sunday to get saved. But you say, I have been saved. Yes, you have. You have been saved. You are being saved. And you will be saved. And we are being saved through what is the chief means of grace. That is that God has given to us his word. And we preach the word. Not in order that you're going to know all about what the chapter says but that you might encounter Christ through his word. That God's word might speak to you, and in worship we respond and we say, Yes, God, I will do all those things that you have said. If it's a word of encouragement, I will worship you by taking that encouragement. That's actually probably the hardest response to the Word of God. Because sometimes I just feel so discouraged and so down in my own heart that I just can't be bothered being encouraged. I don't want to be encouraged because somehow or other I have settled down in my sense of misery. If God's word is a word of encouragement, it is sinful for us not to respond and to be encouraged. If it's a word of rebuke, where God says there's an area here in your life where you are wrong, then our response in worship is to repent. You see, at the beginning of our services, we, we have a, a confession of sin. Now, you may feel that that's, not, that's a sort of a morbid kind of thing to have a mention of sin and confession of sin every Sunday. Why can't we get to the joy bit? Well, we don't get to the joy bit until the sin is dealt with. And confessing our sins is worship. Because we are acknowledging that we need God. We need the Lord Jesus Christ. We need our sins to be forgiven. Caleb is responding to what God has said. He not only talked about faith, but he acted in faith. And the Lord granted him him success. So the description of the land was not just simply the reading of a list. It involved the responsibility to carry out the promises that God had made to Moses. It involved the necessity of accepting the land that God had given. You see, if you said... Here's the land. Here's your inheritance. 
And if you're responsible, no, I don't want that. I, I don't want to look after that land. I don't want that kind of responsibility. But it is worship to receive the gift that God has given us. To respond by accepting it. Israel knew that she had experienced the blessing of God, but she also knew that her failure to meet the challenge, that that, 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 that threatened the, the blessing of God being removed from them. But yet God remained faithful, even when the people were unfaithful. But when they were unfaithful, they did not enjoy the fullness of God's blessing. The blessing was there as clearly seen by the fact that Judah was in the land. But had they driven out the Jebusites, they would have enjoyed greater blessings from God. God who promises a secure inheritance enables the people to obtain it. And when they are willing to risk obedience to his promise, God blesses them. We see from these chapters that the land is allotted according to the Lord's instructions. The land was to be a possession of the tribes and clans permanently. Now, I want to clear up some nonsense that I hear and read from time to time. You could, the land that was given to you you could lease, you could sell a lease on that land. But that lease could only last for 50 years. <coughs> and in the year of Jubilee, that land had to go back to the original tribe so that that tribe or that clan would, would own the land. Now, if it was the year after Jubilee, you could sell a 50-year lease. If it was only 10 years to go to the year of Jubilee, you could only sell a 10-year lease. I have heard some people describe the year of Jubilee as a redistribution of wealth, as if some grand socialist scheme was in operation here. This is not, the year of Jubilee was not a redistribution of wealth. It was the end of a lease. And when your lease ended, you could take out another lease. But only for 50 years. And then that land would have to revert back to the people because God had gifted that to them. But let's see from faith's response. We move back again to the listing of the inheritance that God has given. And we see, a, a, we see God's realism in verses 20 through to 63. But we're back to lists again. And the puzzle again is, how can such lists proclaim the work and power of God to his people? And the answer is to recognize what may be called biblical realism. God's word, word is seldom about bare, purely spiritual abstractions. The God of the Bible tends to be concrete and definite and his gifts are tangible and visible. The only thing is, sometimes we fail to recognize the blessings that God has given us. Sometimes, when I, I'm feeling grateful and thankful, 
I often say, I would love to be able to take that and put it in a bottle and sell it. You want to hold on to that thing. But the blessings that we have, whether that be of family life, whether that be of other things, those things should turn us back to the giver who is God. And we thank God for what he has done. We need to recover this reality of God so that we actually enjoy the things that God has given us. You see, the grand act of the kingdom of God will not leave us all floating around in disembodied spirits, but God will give us a new resurrected body where we will serve the Lord in the new heavens and in the new earth. Peter said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is already to be revealed in the last time. The final point to note in this chapter is the unfinished business that you see in verse 63. That Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem to this day. The Jebusites live there with the people of, of Judah. In contrast to Caleb, the tribe of Judah did not finish the job. It's good to finish well. And it's good to finish with the job complete. I've said it before. In the kingdom of God, there is no retirement age. You don't come to a point where you say, well, I'm now physically weak. I'm not as agile as I used to be. My mental capacity is not as good as it used to be. So I can retire. You can't. Because the job is still to be done the job will be over when God takes you, either th through death or through the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even then, it'll not be retirement. It'll be a whole new beginning, a great start. God has given us inheritance. God has blessed us. Let us be thankful for what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, our God, for the inheritance that you have given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would help us to possess that inheritance and to have a sense of joy for what you have done for us in Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen.